Thanks, team. Well, good morning, church. I hope you are coming in and having a great morning so far. And uh, as we dive into things here this morning in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit would just invade this space and uh, just be speaking to you in this time. If you want, take your copies of the scripture and open to Galatians 5. We're going to hit that here in just a minute. But I, uh, I feel like I have to be honest with you to start off. It's probably good for somebody that's up here right now, to be honest. Um, I, uh, as I was preparing for this, Pastor Rob asked if I would preach on the subject of peace. And I thought, man, that's awesome. I love this subject of peace. Such a great topic. Can't wait to dive in on it. Excited about it. And then I lived my week this past week. So my wife is out of the country on business. And I have my niece and my nephew living with me and my kids. Which means it's extra schedules to get people places to. And there's only one of me. I also have been helping to coach my 10-year-old daughter's softball team. And we all know that with 10-year-old girls' softball, the word peace is never involved in the same sentence. And so we have that happening, and uh, all these things that were taking place with responsibilities here, and I got to tell you that... You could not use the word peace completely accurately in my life this week. And the reason I tell you that is because as we journey into the scriptures, I want you to know that I am sitting uh, with you and I am a student teacher on this subject of peace. Because it is so full and so big for us to take in. And so my prayer for you and for myself this morning is that the Spirit would just continue to just lead us down this place of where He wants us and why peace is so important. See, I know that for some of you, you are coming in to this space this morning and peace is foreign to you. For some of you, you are battling major health issues or a loved one is battling major health issues and peace just doesn't seem to be a part of it. For some of you, you have relationships that are full of conflict, possibly even conflict with someone that you're sitting next to. And peace isn't a part of it. For others of you, you're feeling financial stress and and so this peace and this anxiety is coming. And so wherever you are, the baggage that you're coming in with, I want you to know that you are no different than anybody else in this room. We all are coming in with baggage and we need to understand that peace has come, peace can grow, peace can flow, and peace is near. And so I I pray that God would move in each of us this morning. So we are in this uh, series on the the fruit of the Spirit, and I want to just start by our main text. So if you're in Galatians 5, we're at verses 22 and 23. And this is what it says. This is the foundation of it for us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace 
forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when Paul writes this text in Galatians, one of the things that we have to understand right off the bat is that he puts all of these different subjects, love, joy, peace, this, this list there, And what I want you to notice is that when he writes it and says fruit, he is meaning that this is one thing. Yes, it's a list, but it's one thing. What is that one thing? Well, this one thing is these characteristics are supposed to show up in a supernaturally transformed life of someone who has seen the cross in the empty tomb and they've been changed forever. And so when we read this list, even though we're going through this and it's a different one each week, we have to understand that when Paul writes it, he's thinking like this cornucopia of all this is there and present. And this is what we are to reflect. And so without the transformation of Jesus Christ in your life, it's going to be very hard for you to ever find all of this fulfillment that he's talking about here. So, that's the basis of our series, and now I want to jump to two books uh, later in the book of Philippians. So, why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And we're, uh, the main text for this morning is going to start in verse 6, but I want to start at verse 4, okay? And I'm going to read that Um, But then pick it up with me in verse 6. So Philippians 4, starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So I want you to walk away with one main thing this morning. And I have a feeling that some of us are dealing with this, and so I want, uh, I want this text to change where you're at. And what I want you to understand is that anxiety won't change my circumstances. Anxiety won't change my circumstances, but the peace of God transforms and strengthens my perspective. So what Paul is writing to this dear church here is vitally important for us today. And we have to dig into this. So let's start at the beginning, but we're going to start in verse 6. What is Paul telling this church, and for us this morning, not to do? Well, when you read it, we're not to be anxious about anything. Simple answer, right? I mean, that's what the text says, and it just seems so natural. We're not to be anxious. Now, let me ask you this. What did you worry about this week? 
because I know you did. I know you worried. So let me be honest with you on this, and hopefully for some of you, you won't storm the stage or think less of me, but I want to tell you something. I didn't spend time this week worrying about your kids' future and their grades. I didn't spend time doing that. I didn't spend any time. Now, if you would have said something to me about that, or you're close with me and this came up, I would have prayed for you. I would have prayed for that situation. But I didn't spend time worrying about that. But I can tell you I spent time this week worried about my own kid's future. I also got to tell you, I didn't spend time worrying about your job. I didn't. I you know, if there's something going on in your job and you would have told me about it, I would have spent time praying about that and talking to you about that. But I had my own job to worry about. So I spent time worrying about that. And so why do I tell you that? It's because whenever we dive into this, it's something that Jesus talks about throughout the Gospels. And it's so true when it comes to peace. So what we have to understand is that where you place your devotion, that is where your anxiety dwells. Where you place your devotion is where your anxiety is going to build up, where it's going to grow, where it's going to fester. And so because I am devoted to my kids, that's where anxiety is going to be. Because I'm devoted to my job, that's where some anxiety is going to be. And so what you have to do is go, okay, where is my devotion? Where And you're going, I don't know where I'm devoted. Well, just think about what you worry about because that's where you're devoted. Now, let me say this. Whenever we look at this and we start seeing what's happening here, I, I want you to understand that I'm not saying that you shouldn't be devoted to your family or to your job. But where we're devoted can sometimes take us off track. And it's, it's something that we can get distracted by. And so this fruit of the Spirit that's supposed to be alive and well in us can start to rot. See, when Paul writes this and says, do not be anxious about anything, this word anxious in the original text means to be torn up to torn into pieces by debilitating worry and fear. And that type of anxiousness, that type of worry and fear, only rises in the places that you are devoted. That's where it comes. And so Paul is writing this church, this dear church. And he's saying, don't be anxious about anything. And the reason is because anxiety won't change my circumstances. Anxiety won't change my circumstances, but the peace of God transforms and strengthens my perspective. Here's some context for you. When Paul was writing this church, when he was uh, delivering this letter, and when, that, when he was thinking of them, he was in prison. He was in chains on the verge of possibly being executed. And so whenever he's looking at this, he's in chains, death is coming, but he writes to people whose faith is the same as his, and he's saying, don't 
Be anxious about anything because here's the fact. They could have the same outcome that he is having. Persecution is there. And so he's writing this to them. And here's the key in this. Paul is not writing a suggestion. Here's the deal. I like making suggestions. I don't know about you, but I can make a suggestion. And then... If the person doesn't take the suggestion and it goes the opposite direction, I can at least say, well, I told you so. But Paul's not making a suggestion here. He is making a command. He is commanding them not to be anxious about anything because when he's making this command, it has to do with where they are devoted, what they have been impacted by. And so why is this? Well, it goes back to whenever we look at this in verse 5. The reason he is commanding this is because the Lord is near. The Lord's near. And folks, that has not changed. The Lord is present right now. The Lord is near and he is commanding, don't be anxious about anything. So if Paul is commanding this, then we have to answer a question, a couple questions here. What is the character of this peace, and what does it require of us? So let's dive into this, and let's jump down to Philippians 11, or chapter 4, 11 and 12. Look at what it says there. This is Paul writing again. I am not saying this because I am in need. Now stop for a second. Where is he? In chains. Possibly going to be executed. And he's writing to a church saying, because I am uh, not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So what in the world here? This guy is in prison. How can he, how can he say this? What is the key in this? Well, the first character of this and what we see in Paul is that when peace comes, peace brings this inner calm or poise. So peace has this inner calm or poise. And here's the thing. With those verses, what we realize is that this peace isn't a natural thing for us. It's not natural for you to be peaceful or to, to sense that, that presence of peace. It's something that has to be given and then it has to be learned. I mean, this is what Paul is saying. I have learned. So he is learning what this peace is. So in order for you to learn something, you have to be given some kind of information or opportunity. And if you were to dive into the Apostle Paul's life, one of the things that you would see is that from the moment of his conversion, the moment he surrendered to Christ, the Holy Spirit started empowering him, and he was soaking everything in and taking everything in, and the Holy Spirit was giving him exactly what he needed for every circumstance. And here's the deal. He didn't live a life that was full of luxury. I mean, this guy was getting shipwrecked. He was getting beaten. 
He was being put in prison. He was living this life that for many of us, we would want to say we want to run from. But the reason that he was able to write this is because he was listening to the Spirit's leading. And the Spirit was giving him something that was not natural to him. He was being given this inner calm or poise. But there's a second thing. And this second thing that happens in this uh, character of peace is not just the inner calm or poise. It's this presence of protection. It's a presence of protection. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 reveals this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. Whenever you look at that verse and you look at the word guard, in the original text, that word guard is a military term. It's a military term. It's one of these things where the armies back then would surround the city to protect the city from any invaders coming in. So imagine your home. And the entire United States Army is surrounding it. Not looking in at you, but looking out to guard. How would you sleep? Probably the best you've ever slept in your life. I mean, you are being guarded, you're being protected. And so when we look at this, what we find is that there is this presence that comes and it guards the heart and the mind. It protects. It's this character of protection that is going to go to battle on behalf of you. So here's what happens. For some of you, you might have done this. Somebody said, oh, you got to read this book. So you go to a bookstore on Amazon, and it's this self-help book on how to find peace in your life. And most often, those books will kind of lead you through these techniques and disciplines. And the reason they do that is because what they're telling you to do is to rid yourself of these awful thoughts. Rid yourself of the, the thinking of the circumstances in your life. But notice what Paul says here. He never says, hey, rid yourself of those things. Don't, you know, don't think about them anymore. He doesn't say that. The reason he doesn't is because he knows what the God of peace wants to do. And so in this, what you need to understand is that when you refuse these thoughts, when you start to say, well, I just got to get them out, what you need to do is say, wait a second, I am living unrealistically. Because guess what? Those circumstances aren't leaving if, if you stop thinking about them. This is where we tend to, we want to refuse these thoughts. And so in order to make them go away, we try these different vices. You're probably like me. Hard day. Frustrating day. You go home and you don't want to think about the day. So what do you do? You pick up the remote. You go to a far off place to watch people who have all these problems, but they get through it because of humor. You know, it's a vice. For some of us, we turn to a bottle. Or we turn to the internet or whatever it is, and we go to these hoping that peace will come because it takes us away. But Paul is saying peace can come in the midst of the circumstances. The circumstances don't leave, but you can have this inner calm and this presence of protection. That's the character of the peace here. 
Because my church family, I want you to know that anxiety won't change my circumstances. But the peace of God transforms and strengthens my perspective. So what does this peace require? I mean, when we start going through this, this peace seems to require something of us. Well, let's go back to the text. Let's look at what it says in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So the first thing that it requires that Paul is telling us what we must do is that this simple thing. Think. So you're in a hard circumstance. The waves are crashing. It's not time to stop thinking. It's time to think. And when Paul writes this, he's starting with three different terms there. True, noble, right. So what is he referencing? He is referencing doctrine. He is referencing the gospel. He is referencing who God is, how great God is, where life started, where life was going, the plan that God has to rescue. Paul is saying, think on these things. Because you are going to be battered around. And we can't stop thinking. We, we have to start going, who is God in the midst of this turmoil? Here's the reality of it. If you're a Christian, if you're sitting here going, I am a Christian, I've surrendered my life to Christ, and you believe the gospel, you believe this book, and that you say this is all truth, I believe in the promises of Christ, but you don't have peace, then the reality is, is that you're not thinking. You're not thinking. Your circumstances don't determine truth. Your circumstances aren't there to dominate you. Because I know that this truth rescues us and sets us free. So start to think. So Paul is commanding this, and then we start looking at there's a second thing. What does it require? The second thing, and Pastor Lon talked a little bit about this last week, is that we are to pray. We're to pray. So whenever we're looking at this, we're to come to God with requests and and with a thankful heart. We find this in verse 6. Present your request to God. How are we to do it? With thanksgiving. So let me ask you, how do you pray? How do you pray? I mean, what is your methodology? What is your thinking about it? Because whenever I look at this, especially in the the times that are super hard, when the waves are coming, I think I can get confused with prayer. And I would bet that for some of you in this room, you do too. Paul doesn't say that if you pray with a thankful heart, that God will answer your prayer exactly the way that you want. He doesn't say that. He's just saying, pray, present your request, be thankful. See, if the peace of God is determined in your life on God answering your prayer the way that you want, what happens when he doesn't answer the prayer? What happens is that you don't have peace. 
And then you're questioning God. Now here's another question. What would happen if God did answer your prayer the way that you would want? What if he did? Are you that brilliant? See, here's the thing. I, I wanna, I'll be the first to say it in the room. Over all my years, I have prayed for some really stupid things. I have. I've prayed for some stupid, foolish things in my life. I mean, here's the truth. I mean, you're not going to believe this, but at one point in my life, a girl actually broke up with me. Okay? I mean, you're looking at this and you're going, no way. I know. But a girl actually did, and what did I do? I prayed. And what did I start praying? God, bring this relationship back. I know that love is there. Bring it back. Make this happen. And I start praying that. If he would have answered that prayer, I wouldn't have the blessing of the marriage I have now. I wouldn't have my kids. And I probably wouldn't be standing here today. Because in that moment, I thought I knew better than what God knew. And for all of us in this room, we come to God at different times thinking that we know better. But when Paul is saying to pray, the reason we need to do that and the reason we need to come with a thankful heart is because we come to a God who is going to do his will, but for your good. So he didn't reunite that relationship for me because it was for my good. And it's hard to understand sometimes, but when we are looking at this, we have to understand that God's character is good and loving. His desire is for you. So if you are sitting here and you are full of, th- of anxiety and worry, i got to tell you, you're more than likely empty on thankfulness. So think about it. Think of the things that you're worried about. Go ahead. If you want to continue worrying, go ahead. But I dare you to open this and just start walking through Scripture. And you're going to get overwhelmed by the God of grace. And there are so many more things to be thankful for. And the reason we, Paul's saying this is because thankfulness battles anxiety. A thankful heart cannot sit in anxiety and worry. So Paul tells us to think, he tells us to pray, and then the third thing is this, is that he tells us to live with affection. How does he say this? Well, it comes from the second part of verse 8. And so it starts where it says, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Um, And then he goes on in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So the last thing in that list where, uh, where Paul is talking, he ends up using the words pure, lovely, and admirable. And those words have to do with affection. It has to do with affection. Whenever he's writing that, these are the emotions. This is the heart. So he is dealing with the mind, and then he's dealing with the heart. And he's saying, look at these things, because whenever that happens, then affection starts to grow, and where affection grows, 
passion grows. And where passion grows, devotion develops. And he is saying, we are to be living with great affection to the creator God who is pure, who is lovely. I am falling in love with him even more as I sit here in chains and might be killed tomorrow. Do you love him? I mean, do you love him? I was with somebody this past week, and as I was talking with him, I was asking him just where he was at with God, and he was telling me, and he just goes, I just cannot wait. I am so, it's like the Spirit's doing something in me. I am so in love with God right now and his word. I cannot wait to read it more and more. And this is somebody that didn't like reading. He's like, Phil, God is so lovely. I mean, when I hear that and look at that, Paul is writing this from a physical place that he shouldn't be saying this. But because of the great affection, because he's falling more and more in love with Jesus, that peace is taking over. See, that is not a natural thing. But it's given to us the moment that we have surrendered our life to Christ that the Holy Spirit starts that work in you. Starts giving you that. So, here's the other thing you need to understand. And it comes from a a great person here in Paul. He's also saying God's not going to take away the the worry or being afraid. But the more you fall in love with him, the more you are going to feel the presence of heaven growing in your life. I don't know uh, about you. I've been around people uh, lately that are going through some really hard things. You know, the family that, whose child severely ill. I don't know how to explain that. Um... The, the man who cancer has come back again. A spouse who's fading and, and dealing with, you know, just horrible things that are in this world. And I, I was with this guy who cancer had come back, and he said to me uh, at one point, he said, I don't know why this is here, but if this is for God's glory and it draws my kids back, It's worth it. That's the peace of God invading. That's the peace of God flourishing. So here's the deal. What would happen if in the midst of hard times, God's people just clung to this peace and they would think and they would pray and they would have great affection in the midst of suffering? What would happen in this world? Well, I can tell you The kingdom of God would be glorified and more and more lives would come to know who Jesus Christ is and they would be changed for all eternity because this peace is radically different than anything you can find on this earth. And it changes lives. 
And that's why Paul is saying this must be a part of our life. So here's the thing in in a wonderful book titled Love Does by Bob Goff. uh, Bob writes this. He writes, people who follow Jesus are no longer typical. God is constantly inviting them into a life that moves away from typical. Even if they have normal jobs, live in normal houses, and drive normal cars, they're just not the same anymore. People, if you surrendered your life to Christ, you are not typical. You have been given the power of the Spirit. You are to live out of that. The peace of God is come. He is near. He wants to move in you. And you are not going to be typical to those around him. And you have the opportunity to point them to a Jesus who saves. Praise God we aren't typical. And may we not be a people where we go, okay, anxiety is going to change my circumstance. So we know not what to do, or uh, we know the character and the requirements, but what will happen in all that? What happens in, in all this? Well, look at verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. That's a promise. It's a promise. It doesn't say that things will be removed. It doesn't say we're going to remove these things so peace can come. No, it's that in the midst of your circumstances, the presence of peace is going to invade and it's going to grow and you're going to learn how to grow in that so that if you're in chains or if you are in a stressful financial situation, you are content because God's peace has invaded your life. And so when this happens, this is how this peace radically transforms things. We have a Jesus who came to this earth and presented a new way. And they took him to a cross, a cross that has nothing to do with peace, that is brutality, that is death written all over it, and he goes to a cross that's meant for that, and what he does is he turns it completely upside down so that that is not a symbol of brutality anymore. It's a symbol that peace has come, peace has triumphed, peace peace has conquered death so that we may live in his presence. Yes. And so peace is is near. And so remember that that anxiety won't change your circumstances. It's not going to change them, but the peace of God transforms and strengthens your perspective. I want to invite the worship team up. Um, And as as they're coming, I want to end with this. It's it's just a story of how peace invades. Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago, but he lost everything in the Chicago fire of 1871. That same year, he and his wife Anna lost a young son to pneumonia. 
And then two, day, two years later, he sent his wife Anna and their four daughters on a ship to cross the Atlantic, which would land in England. During the journey, the boat collided with another one and started to sink. While it was sinking, Anna got the four little girls together and they prayed. Then the ship went under the water and they all got scattered among the waves. The four daughters drowned. And Anna is found unconscious, floating in the water by a rescue ship. And they get her to England and she wires her husband these words saved alone. Another of the ship's survivors later recalled Anna. God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. Horatio booked passage on the next available ship and left to bring his grieving wife home. And with the ship about four days out from dock, the captain called Spafford to the cabin and told him that they were floating over the place that his four daughters went down. And while on this journey and floating above that spot, Spafford wrote this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. say the same thing. Stand with us now.